0: Hello, everyone. I am your host, Tabita Rajab. Welcome to the third episode of the CDH Women Empowerment Podcast Series. This is a series where several members of our firm will be discussing the importance of women empowerment and the many ways CDH is dedicated to doing so. Our guest today is Belinda. Belinda is a director in our dispute resolution practice. She is a member of our business rescue restructuring and insolvency sector. Her extensive experience includes litigation and arbitration in the areas of insolvency and business rescue, corporate and commercial contractual disputes, company act disputes, maritime and international trade. She has recently trained and qualified as a mediator. Thanks for joining us, Belinda, and welcome. Look forward to chatting to you.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Great. So
0: today we are going to learn a bit about yourself, but then also delve more into your expertise in maritime law. So we're just going to jump straight into it. And if you could start by telling us where your career began and how you decided to be a lawyer.
1: It's actually quite a funny story because I actually wanted to originally be a pilot when I was quite young and my dad had flown in the Air Force many, many years ago. And he has always regretted not actually getting a tertiary education. So he's had to work himself up through the ranks. And he's always thought it was a bit of a harder journey than if he had actually been qualified as an accountant. So he wasn't very happy about me wanting to pursue the life of a pilot. And he said that he would support me on condition that I actually get a tertiary education and something else. And then once I had my degree, I was welcome to go and do my training as a pilot. So early on, I got it in my head that I actually wanted to be a lawyer. And here I am now. I haven't quite gotten around to becoming a pilot yet, but there's time. I'm sure your dad will
0: be very pleased. I mean, you've got your formal qualification as a lawyer. And if you want to go off and be a pilot, I'm sure he'll be very fine with that.
1: I think maybe if I did both rather... Pilot as a hobby would probably be more to his taste than me actually just abandoning lawyering.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Can you provide an overview of maritime laws? So now we're going to get into the serious stuff. So if you could just tell us its significance in today's global trade as well as transportation. Sure.
1: There was actually recently a study that came out by the UNCTAD, which is the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development. And even in today's day and age with air transport, shipping transport for trade still makes up at least 80% of global supply. And it ranges from anything transporting of oil and gas to food and medicine. So it is still quite significant in terms of global trade. And so it's not something that should be taken lightly or that is seeming to decrease, even though it takes a bit longer to get to various locations than flying does. I think it's still a much more viable way of transporting things because the quantities that you can transport are so much larger. And if you implement the right transportation processes, refrigeration and all of that, then the commodities seem to retain their value. And it is still quite a huge portion of our global trade. And as such, it has become very important over the longevity of shipping to actually have global unified law on this because obviously there's ships from very different jurisdictions and other jurisdictions and international waters all the time. So it has become very codified and the majority, I would say, of, of the shipping trading communities have adopted the maritime and international trade codifications and conventions that have been published by the various entities that certain countries have assigned themselves to. So In South Africa, we usually adopt these conventions through adoption of local laws, and the main pieces of legislation in South Africa that are relevant to shipping is the Merchant Shipping Act and our Admiralty Jurisdiction Act, and I'll go into it in a bit more detail later if we need to. And it's important to have these global laws for the continuity and the integrity of international trade and environmental safety. So it's constantly evolving, which is what actually makes it exciting. So I I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does. But how
0: then would you say maritime law differs from all the other areas of law and what are the unique challenges does it present?
1: Well, I think it differs from other laws because I think other laws are very much honed in on a nation's culture and and its legal basis. and the evolution of its law over time and where its law was originally based, whether it's English, Roman, Dutch, Greek. So the reason that maritime law is very different is because it is this global pieces of legislation that are coming together to try and get the globe to sign into, if not one codification, then very similar codifications on how to deal with maritime incidences and international trade involving shipping. So it is very international in nature and that in itself becomes a bit of a challenge because you've not only got to adapt and establish your local precedents, but you've also got to take cognizance of what's happening in the shipping world in other jurisdictions and almost try and align if possible so that there is a unification of the law around this. So it's more easily implemented and it's a bit more difficult for people to, for shipping companies to actually circumvent certain laws in certain jurisdictions. Oh, Interesting. And in regards to any memorable
0: matters that you've dealt with that are maritime law related, are there any that you can share with us?
1: There's one that is probably one of my most proud moments. And this is one of those things where there's an example of where we've had to mould the international law in order to adapt it to South African law. So in terms of our Admiralty Jurisdiction Act, it is very easy for foreign claimants to arrest foreign vessels in South Africa. And that's quite unique because normally you have to jump through a lot of loopholes if you're a foreign entity trying to establish jurisdiction in South Africa and also to attach any foreign assets in South Africa. Normally, takes a There, there are a lot of loopholes that you have to jump through, whereas the Admiralty Jurisdiction Act allows that upfront and quite easily. So a few years ago, what we had is we had a shipping company in one of the Eastern Bloc countries that had gone into what they called administration, which is very similar to curatorship or in South Africa, business rescue. So what we were required to do was to see how we could protect the company that had been placed into administration in a foreign entity from their ships being arrested in South Africa when they sailed here, because obviously the administrators were trying to help the company trade back to a solvent and more stable financial position. So What we had to do, and we did it quite successfully, and we've done it a few times now, and I think established the law in South Africa, is we had to mold our business rescue provisions and the purpose around our business rescue provisions to persuade the courts that Similar protections that are granted in other countries should in South Africa be applied to the business rescue provisions in order to protect those ships of those companies that are coming in. So we were able to persuade the court that they should get that protection in something similar to our business rescue protection. So now it has been established in law that if you are a foreign entity that is in distress and have been placed under bankruptcy or administration, you can seek protection in South Africa to make sure that your ships are not arrested. I think that's actually quite an achievement for yourself and the team. We're going to move away
0: now from all the legal talk and we're just going to jump into you letting us know which woman inspires you and why.
1: Okay, I'm not going to name the woman that inspired me because a lot of them are still in practice and I don't want to embarrass them. But I think for me, the women that inspire me the most in terms of legal careers are women that have refused to conform and they have remain true to themselves and are successful despite that. And I think if you're a woman, you'll understand why I'm saying despite that. And some women or all- albeit a lot fewer than they should be, are very successful legal practitioners and, you know, are senior practitioners in, you know, all spectrums of law firms from small to medium to obviously the bigger law firms. Some of the women that inspire me are, are now head legal advisors in companies that are either listed or very prominent asset managed companies. And then there are some that just refused to conform early on and actually had complete career changes and are successful. And I think for me, that's very inspiring to just, you don't have to fit a mold in order to be successful. And I, they do honestly inspire me every day. And yeah, that's where I am on the women in my lives that inspire me in this career form. Yes, that is very inspirational. I mean,
0: you know, you telling us that you actually wanted to be a pilot in the very beginning sort of like confirms that, okay, once you've done this, you don't need to stick to what everybody expects you to do, but you can actually have career in law and still be a pilot.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Maybe one yeah. day, I hope uh, so. <laughs> one
0: day. So let's go back to discussing, you know, the legal industry and how you think males can sort of like participate in assisting women to advance? Because currently the industry is very male dominated. But I think if men were allies to our female lawyers, it would be a very good direction to go in advancing the legal industry as well. So do you have any thoughts on how you think males can assist women in advancing their careers in the legal industry.
1: I do think South Africa is a bit behind the curb of international trends and not very behind. I mean, you still hear, for example, in the United States and England, how, you know, senior partners and law firms are still, you know, the women are paid less than the men and they're still, bring, you know, they're still, they're earning and they're working as hard as the men are. So I don't think we're unique in South Africa for being a little bit behind the curve, but it is changing. And I think gone is the perception that men are the enemy now, right? <laughs> and and rightfully so because I, th- I you know there are a vast majority of people out there that it's becoming less and less relevant what your dynamics are in terms of being male female, you know, gender identification is starting to become redundant, right? So I think with that flow, whether you believe it's good or bad, I think with that starting to get more traction, it's going to be a lot more difficult for there to be any discrimination. And I think it's becoming vastly less than it used to be. And I think the one thing, if I were to just say what was really helpful for me is I was really, really lucky that when I became a mother, I was working with a senior partner who was a male in the firm and he was very accommodating to me in terms of we work together as a team. When I was able to work happy days, if if there were periods that I couldn't because I was doing something else, he picked up the mantle and he carried on with it. And I think it's just an understanding that just because we are asking in circumstances, whether it is because you're a mother or some other reason, you know, your your spouse is ill or that just understanding that flexi hours is not a request to work less hours, but rather just means working differently and different hours. So, for example, when I had my son, I he would wake up at, you know, half past four in the morning, have his bottle and go back to sleep. And I was awake then, so I could work then, but I needed to be home by three o'clock in the afternoon, right? But then again, when he was, you know, not needing my attention, I could work. So I think that's also what COVID helped is for people to realize and understand that just because you're in an office doesn't necessarily mean you're working any harder. That somebody who's got commitments somewhere else, but is working different hours. And I think that is very much help women, especially women that have children in the dynamic of an area where billable hours are key. So yeah, the key is just make sure you're a good teammate on both sides and work as flexibly as you can in order to make sure you can fit in everything, realizing that you're not compromising the work.
0: Yeah. So touching on a lighter note, can you tell us what book
1: you're reading at the moment? So I'm reading a book on the SAS, which is a, it's a British institution that is similar to the FBI or the CIA. And they started these COVID Projects during the Second World War where they would go in, you know, and almost sabotage. It's almost like guerrilla warfare. So it's a book written by Ben McIntyre. He is the first author that's ever been allowed access to the historic documents and diaries of this institution. So it is a very interesting book, and it's it's almost where where Sabotage started in terms of the world, in the, and it started in the Second World War by this group of men who were trying to find orthogonal ways of combating the the German army and its advances.
0: Oh, wow, that sounds very interesting. And in terms of uh, TV, are you watching anything? Are you streaming anything?
1: Yeah, yeah. so I, I'm very much of a... Um, done it? kind of girl so I'm watching a series at the moment on Britbox called Shetland which is it's a Scottish um, investigative series which is quite yeah it's quite fun. Okay okay it aligns really well with the book that you're reading I guess. Yeah exactly maybe there's a theme. Yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then just a final
0: question can you let us know your hobbies do you have any unusual hobbies well besides The whole pilot aspiration.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I mean, my general hobbies are I love hiking, I love photography, I love baking and I love organising parties for my family that are a little bit different. So there will be like an amazing race or a treasure hunt. So yeah, I think those are my my three main hobbies are just fun, I think, just having some fun. Oh, wow. I think your life is very
0: balanced because you've got the law and then you've got the the family and the fun stuff. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) It was such a pleasure having you on, Belinda, and thanks for sharing all your thoughts. I think you've kind of like given us the light in that sense. And we really appreciate you joining us.
1: It was such a pleasure. And as again, thank you for the invitation. And I hope most people are inspired to investigate maritime Lords. It's quite unique and it's fun and I highly recommend it. Great. Thanks so much, Belinda. Thank you.
0: The views and information expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily present those of the firm. All content is provided for general purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. We make no representations, warranties or guarantees whether expressed or implied that the content on our podcast is accurate, complete, up-to-date or reflects the current law. We accept no responsibility for any loss or damage, whether direct or consequential, arising from reliance on the information which is presented here.